You're listening to Being Built. I'm Aaron Davis, your host. I'm here with Darren Baldwin, the president of Picus 3D. So uh, tell me a little bit about Picus. Yeah, so we have the tallest 3D printer in the world. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, out of West Jordan, Utah, if you've been to the area. Not long from Sundance. It's uh, actually a great time to be there right now. Is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Park thing. City. I got to go over here recording a podcast. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's the best powder in the world right now. And uh, Pike is 3D. We have the only 3K 3D printed concrete system in the world. That's wow. right okay. now. That's what our okay. engineers out of Switzerland tell us. It's, and so you've been there now for several months. How long have you been uh, running the joint? Officially five months. Okay. Yeah. So you know where you know your way around at this point. I can give a tour if you want to come right. out. <laughs> I do. I do yeah. want to come you out, actually. You need to get out. You suggested the idea and uh, coming out and that, visiting that neighborhood would be cool someday. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I'll take you up on that. So tell me, what do you know or how would you explain kind of like the intent behind Pikes 3D? Like what, what does, uh, like why does it exist? What, what are you building there and for who? You know, it's construction technology. And when you think about the most valuable resource in the, in the world, it's people. Right? I started mm-hmm. my career in strategy. and. But, uh, you know, even the best strategy in the world doesn't exist without a great team. True. And uh, when it comes to construction, building the most beautiful pieces in the world happens because uh, people are artists. Someone has a dream. Yeah. Someone has a statement they, they want to make in a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it takes great craftsmen, craftspeople in order to achieve that. Yeah. And today, when you look at the labor markets, quite constrained. So it's a protracted, very long construction process. Okay. And that just means a lot of money, right? Yeah. So when you think about uh, building things modularly, doing them in factory so that it can come to the site and you can assemble it in fewer pieces, it just accelerates the construction process. Yeah. And so 3D printing is part of the solution to some of our labor constraints in the marketplace today. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective on it. I hadn't really thought about the labor uh, constraint. And that's not only about getting it done faster, cheaper, whatever, but you're able to build cooler things because you're not limited by those constraints, right? And that's why I've seen some of the images. This is why my head kind of goes there. And the stuff's cool. Yeah. Um, The stuff you guys have built is cool. We call them uh, Pikus printed statement pieces. Okay. So the early adopters of 3D printed work, they're going after a statement. Okay. They want to say something to the community that can't be achieved any other way economically. Because mm-hmm. cast in place concrete requires a lot of carpenters, finishers, and time for foundation to cure before it supports solid concrete. Okay. Uh, precast takes molds. So if you're going to do a one off, a statement piece, it's a one of a kind. Yeah. The best way to achieve that with precision is 3D printed concrete. Interesting. And so do you. Do you just pike us? Do you print stuff on site, or do you print and ship it, or how does like what's if I wanted to, you know, a statue in my front yard? Yeah, how would that? What would the process be like? Yeah, so our founder mm-hmm. Rob Pikes had been in concrete construction for over twenty years. Okay, so he knows so, firsthand all the pains that go into building statement pieces, right? Yeah, well, he knows firsthand what it looks like to make a, a profitable construction company. He's mm-hmm. very good at that. He's a dreamer, a visionary. And he looked at all the various options. About five years ago, he said, hey, we're using the same technology in concrete construction we've been using since the Roman times, right? You know, 2,000 years, <laughs> it's pretty much the same. Some admixtures, yeah. thank God, to yeah, companies true. like Sika, who, who uh, provide some of the most advanced uh, product in the world for, for achieving that. But still, it's for, uh, for the most part, the process for doing it is very similar. You have wood, 
forms and you pour concrete in it and it sets up. Wow. It's and yeah, that, and that's cracks, thousands right? of years old. Yeah, <laughs> right. 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 And so you have structures that, you know, over 2000 years old, they're standing. Okay. And so he looked at it and he said, how can we advance this? What mm-hmm. technologies are available? And he did look at the, do you take a robot on site or do you do this in a climate controlled factory? And he weighed those mm-hmm. options. And he decided that it was best to build a facility climate controlled that had the the most advanced mm-hmm. uh, process for constructing objects. And so we can, we're printing objects that uh, don't require forms. Okay. As we like to say, where we're going, we don't need forms. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it work? So it's a, it works just like a printer. Okay. So you have a print head that just runs. like a little plastic three printer or whatever. Yeah. Something you print with, right? If you can dream it, we can print it for the mm-hmm. most part. Uh, there's a lot of systems that can do. You know, you think of overhang angles, right? To print something, you need something that it stands on. Okay. The overhang angle is a measure of just how far leaned over, you can print an object. And mm-hmm. so this is common terminology in, uh, in 3D printing. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, typical concrete systems can do maybe uh, a 10% overhang. So okay. like the, the systems that you see where the robot is on site, uh, those systems um, can't achieve the overhang that we can achieve. And it okay. just means more freedom of design. Yeah. So I think I've seen, you know, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, whatever, the images of like, 3d concrete walls being printed to like make a little a room or something. And there's not a lot of nuance to that. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a rectangle, right? Yeah, it's right. an upright yeah. wall, right? If you want to do something that is a statement piece that is beautiful, that has curves to it and okay. concrete, when it comes to making curves and concrete is, is cost prohibitive to, okay. to do that. The images that you've seen online, most of those, um, are quite limited mm-hmm. by the overhang angle. Um, you also have to deal with bonding strength, right? So if, if your layer, if your print head takes uh, a long period of time to come around, if it takes too long, mm-hmm. your bonding between those layers is going to be a challenge. And so oh, we, you know, through software and, and hardware and years of experience, we've, we've landed on just the right finesse uh, to get incredible bonding strength. You know, we're, we're coming out at over 8,000 PSI. So uh, we're outperforming. Uh, a lot of those systems that you see online with those big yeah. thick layers or standard concrete, and uh, which has their uses, but when it comes to uh, commercial construction mm-hmm. and achieving uh, linear feet, achieving uh, themed formwork, achieving um, parametric facades, like okay. if you imagine a building that looks like it has linen flowing on on it, right? Yeah, something that with no. Yeah, you're not just patterns. stacking layers to right. achieve that. Yeah, right. So if you're doing one-offs like that, very unique pieces, this is how we see it being done. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, it really kind of takes down some barriers that you would think about when you think about concrete in general, right? Um, And it's really easy to imagine a little piece of plastic or something being printed in your home now. I remember when that was, that was pretty unbelievable, right? Right. Like 3D printing, what does that even (laughs) Right. Right. And so now you're talking about things that are how, how big? So as I mentioned, we have the largest, the tallest print bed in the world of okay. any 3D printer. Okay. And it's over 16 feet tall. Wow. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a call. <laughs> someone, we wants to, about someone wants to print a very large object right on now. <laughs> and, you know, 12 foot, they call it an X by Y by Z axis or Z axis is 16 feet. Wow. Yeah. We're talking almost two stories. That large. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's wild. 
Yeah. And, and so when you think about um, what kind of use cases this solves, you, you are looking at uh, very unique landscape architecture. So we're okay. right now working with uh, some of the most demanding landscape architects in the nation who have clients that have a lot of money that yeah. want to make a statement. Yeah. And it might be that community that has such a unique piece when you, when you come into the building or, or when you step onto the property and it says exactly what yeah. the developer, what the owner, what the architect wanted to say. So what do you mean by most demanding? You know, you don't mean that they yell and scream and they're mean. You mean, uh, yeah, I mean come on. <laughs> we need this fast. But I, I will give an example. I'm being fast. So, okay. We got a call from one of our partners that we work with two of the largest concrete construction companies in the nation, Baker okay. Concrete and Lithco okay. Concrete, two of the largest concrete installers. And they were working on a project in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. a certain uh, presidential center mm -hmm. and the bronze statue beautifully situated in the, in the center. And the general contractor was uh, beginning to complete this project and mm -hmm. getting to the landscape kind of final touches when they received a call. Hey, the president of the United States is going to be there in five okay. weeks. Wow. And it was a little bit of surprise, right? He's going to be there in five weeks. And they realized we have this custom radius seating wall okay. that has to set just right along this radius so that you can see the bronze statue of this previous president. Mm -hmm. And so our current president's going to be there in five weeks. You don't tell him, hey, come back in 10, right? Yeah. You do right. what you can to make sure this job's done. Well, if you're trying to do a custom radius wall, cast in place and, and getting a crew to show up, even with weather, it just may not be possible. And so they scratched that and they thought, what about, what about uh, precast? Maybe someone can make a mold mm -hmm. and get a sun. And we know making molds is a long protracted process. Okay. It usually takes months, at least a couple months. And so they happen to know uh, Picus 3D was uh, a company that might be able to do this. They called us and we went from concept to print, to ship, to install in 30 days. Wow. So when we talk so about the president demanding, of the United so States it's not, is showing up, it's not that the president was pounding his hand, but you know, you, people want to want yeah. to make sure that a project's ready to to show off for the yeah. press wow. and for uh, the president's uh, entourage. And so uh, we were able to achieve that in 30 days. I have no idea you were going to answer with a presidential uh, uh, viewing uh, when yeah. I asked that question, but yeah, that would be a pretty demanding context. And so, you know, back to your question about demanding. So we're getting invitations to bid on other uh, presidential centers, uh, very large uh, corporate headquarters yeah. who want to want to show off um, what they're able to do with their with their space and their place. You know, if you are hiring some of the best talent in the world, think mm -hmm. of uh, Google, Amazon. And and you are going after these, uh, you know this yeah, hard yeah. to recruit mm -hmm. talent. You want to have a place that is inviting. That's right. And so it's often these these rooftop decks that have landscapes that are uh, very beautiful, and they want something that is not common. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, I'm, I hear I'm not much of a style person, but I've read that style is in style again, that this like minimalist idea where everything's just kind of like square and plain is kind of going out of fashion and, uh, you know, detail and intricacy or whatever is kind of making a comeback. And I wonder if that lends to the demand for, you know, quote unquote statement pieces and just kind of this making an impression with your space, right? Um, that's certainly got to bode well for Picus 3D. Yeah, it absolutely is. When when you think about um, 
how we create. If you're an architect and you have access to the only stylus in the world that mm -hmm. can do these kind of objects, you want to make your moment when you can. Mm -hmm. And there, there are architects who work with clientele that they want something that's not on a catalog. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they want something that doesn't limit them from showing how they put their fingerprint on something. Yeah, that's really cool. And that's what we're able to support our, our architects with. Where, you know, I kind of started the conversation with what are you building and why? What, what was the whole foundation of this? So where's Picus 3D at now? I guess there's two questions here. Like, why isn't everybody doing this, right? Like, why, why aren't you flooded with competition? And then what are your challenges? Because hmm. um, I'm sure those things are related. Yeah, so just to get a sense of the state of the business, we worked on perfecting the um, how the mortar, how the polymer, how the activator, how all the material comes together, uh, the software and the hardware for that, mm -hmm. as well as other nuances that are absolutely trade secrets. It took some time. You know, it's like finding that perfect cookie recipe, right, and, mm -hmm. and baking that. And so once we got to a point where we were satisfied, hey, we're ready to go, we're ready to uh, put this product in front of demanding clients that mm -hmm. want to make a statement. Uh, we went ahead and, and said, okay, we're going to build a team mm -hmm. that can support that process. And I arrived this summer and we started aligning out some of the, the right resources and having the team ready to go mm -hmm. and start shipping products. So really it was just this past summer where that began. Nice. As I okay. mentioned in, in 2022 with that presidential project. And so now we're bidding on uh, some of these very large corporate headquarters and other nice. presidential centers today. Yeah, that's a great launch experience right there, right? Yeah, you know, when when one of the largest uh, amusement and theme park companies has a purchase order on your desk your first week of work, it's kind of a that's kind of a a, a uh, big positive for your first week. It that is. was that was work. The company had uh, gotten in front of uh, some of these big names, big brands uh, early on who want to have something that's unique. Mm -hmm. um, so we're still, you know, early stage in terms of revenue and in terms of getting new product out there. But we're we're in the process of working with uh, these architects who know uh, that they have something unique that no one else has. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that that's always a ton of fun, right? To innovate and to create something that that breaks the mold mm -hmm. uh, from what people are used to seeing when they hear the word concrete. What's the biggest obstacle in front of you? What's the biggest challenge that uh, that you as the leader of the organization are, are focused on or thinking about? That's a good question. I think one of our larger obstacles is the fact that most people, when they think of the word concrete, think of flat, gray, mm. cracks, boring, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You often don't think of a sculpture. Mm -hmm. We're anchored to what we know. And so we've got to move people off of what is uh, known and understood into an opportunity where they can achieve things they maybe they were limited in achieving previously. Mm -hmm. So when I reach out to an architect and say, Hey, we've got a stylus no one else has, most architects, okay, okay, come on. Okay. okay. <laughs> what, what can I create that I couldn't create right. before? Right. <laughs> and so you're talking about water features and sculptures and benches and raised planter beds that have a brand or a, a thesis about them that just communicates in a way that's exciting to people. Yeah. So that's our greatest challenge now is is taking people from what they've known mm -hmm. and saying to your you know what I said earlier where we're going we don't need forms yeah and that in and of itself is a is such a shift uh, it takes some getting 
used to. Mm-hmm. But as we found with uh, a few early adopting architects, once the light bulb goes off, mm-hmm. boy, they're, they're off and creating. So there's a lot of organic enthusiasm, oh, yeah. word of mouth happens. And yeah. like, there's a little bit of, I'm sure, jealousy that happens among the d- designers and architects and so on. They're like, oh, he designed that. Now I want to be able to use that tool and execute things like that. We're excited to invite architects into the sandbox okay. really to play. I mean, it's, it's a, it's that kind of unlimited design experience. So it's a collaborative process. Sometimes it starts with a napkin sketch okay. or a sketch up is uh, pretty common amongst architects, Rhino. And ultimately we have a, a collaborative process where we work with architects to help them achieve what they're wanting to achieve. Yeah. So what I heard in that is really just kind of making the capability and the impact of what Ficus 3D can do more known amongst the community of potential users. And and I think that's a familiar problem to a lot of innovators. So I've actually had people sitting right there in your chair tell me that, you know, nobody's got budget for something they've never heard of or thought about before. Right. And so you're trying to sell into and in the case I'm thinking of sell into corporate America or whatever, where you got somebody holding purse strings for X, Y and Z and you're offering A, B and C. Right. Just making people aware of something that has not been in their Rolodex of of thoughts or, or, you know, I've got red, green and blue crayons and all of a sudden they show up with teal and it just changes things. Right. So, so marketing and sales and, and kind of like education about your capabilities, I guess, is kind of what I'm hearing. Is that fair? Yeah, that is fair. It's fair. It, you know, we, we don't get much pushback when it comes to, hey, do you want to tour our place? Mm-hmm. But I think the, unless you can get into Salt Lake City mm-hmm. and come tour the place and see the printer in process, it is hard to to go from where they are to where we're going. Yeah, mentally, just drawing a picture. What we found is the use of virtual reality has been the, one of the ways that we do that. And so being able to put on a, a MetaQuest and, and walk through our facility and see something printed or walk through their facility and see our objects in the place where they intend those designs to set. Interesting. And so we can show them option A, B, and C. And we found that once you can kind of see in that space mm-hmm. with your goggles on, you literally get to see and, and you get the presence of concrete that's formed and curved in ways that they haven't seen before. That's a really cool use case for VR I hadn't thought about before, but you know, designing and architecting and kind of building physical um um, big physical things in the space, yeah. right? That's yeah. right. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, because you know when they get to see it mm-hmm. in the space that they intended. Mm-hmm. So it, the backdrop is their creation, and we're just showing them with this kind right. of technology. This is what you can do in the space. Yeah. So how do you get it from get their canvas into your studio in Utah, or vice versa? And VR is a good solution for that. VR. Yeah. So how mature is the utilization of VR for for uh, kind of that? that process is that something you've done a number of times is that something that's pretty pretty deep part of your process or are you exploring it we've just started it with a few early adopters and and we've gotten a substantial adoption nice. from them you know anytime that we offer it people said well i've never used right that's what before, i would say right that <laughs> <laughs> for video games or something right? uh, so you know the the Oculus Quest Two is often what we would recommend people get we walk them through the process sometimes it's the first time they've ever put on any VR goggles. And so that's been a fun part is for just the adoption of new technology Mm -hmm. in order to see 
how our technology fits into their construction process. Yeah. That's been that's been fun, right? Because you're you're doing something new together. Once they see how it works, it's um, you know we get to create together in that space, and yeah, I think it accelerates. That is really cool. That's interesting. I mean, you've just changed the way you have a handshake. The content of your offering is unique and innovative in, in and of itself, but just using a unique avenue that, that kind of gives the full picture of your capability, it makes a great first impression. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I like yeah. it. What do you imagine? I guess we're 2023 right now, 2025. Uh, we're you know three summers from, from your uh, start with Pikus mm -hmm. 3D. Where do you think the organization and the industry is going to be a couple of years from now? Yeah. I know you can't read the future, so something about this will be wrong, but what's your best guess? You know, I think, Aaron, we're going to have multiple plants okay. uh, around the world. I believe that we'll have uh, quite a lot of adoption in Europe. Okay. You know, the, the coasts are seeing adoption. Now, we can sh print and ship to most of the country within a matter of days. Wow. It's less of a needing to be right across the street from the consumer and more just from a capacity and being able to respond. We mm -hmm. see uh, the demand for more creative and more modular construction continue to accelerate. Mm -hmm. In terms of number of plants in total, we, we think we're going to be at 12 plants mm. uh, in 2025. Okay. In terms of industry, we'll continue to stay in construction, obviously with, with concrete, but mm -hmm. there are use cases that we anticipate we'll be solving in 24 related to uh, facades and, and structural that uh, today is um, not being touched by anybody. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you, do you anticipate more competitors joining the field? When we think of competition today, I mean, the, the, the obvious competition is cast in place and precast concrete. Mm -hmm. But as, as you continue to have tightening labor, cast in place becomes a challenge for architectural concrete. Uh, but as we look at other solutions, precast, particularly for one-off and low volume, when you talk about statement pieces is not something that's uh, fitting there as mm -hmm. well. So we'll continue to compete well, I think, in those spaces and, and, and maybe in some cases play well with cast in place companies and precast companies who don't want to be in the business of unique one-offs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, whether there's going to be a lot of entrance within the space, I mean, like any technology, we would anticipate that other people can buy a robot, uh, but we have a lot of knowledge when it comes to, you know, baking the perfect recipe that's taken years to perfect. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is what's going to keep you ahead in that race? It's that uh, concoction that you've built. Yeah. And obviously you're not advertising all of the components of that recipe. Right. Um, and it'll take a lot of time before those little things creep out and competitors get a hold of them. By then you'll have multiple plants and lots of customers and great stories. and Deeper relationships, right? More yeah. Oculus headsets everywhere. That's right. <laughs> yeah, now I wonder too if the multiple plants makes it easier for you know people to do visits you know to a facility or whatever to have an impression that you can't get it via VR. Um, is that something that you see being impactful with uh, broadening your footprint geographically? Yeah, you know, virtual virtual reality is so new at this point that um, you know we're open to sending a, a quest to a key key customer so they can literally see close to them what, what this looks like in their space. It's really connecting the dots for them. Do I see it as the only way that we're going to get adoption going? No. I mean, we're using social media. We're using 
uh, direct marketing and using uh, VR is only after we've evaluated that this is the customer we want to invest in and really educate them. How many of your customers want to tour your facility before they say, hey, you commission you to build them a, a piece? Every one of them does. Do they? That's yeah. awesome. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's part of the experience we're yeah. finding because it is unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think some people would be willing to pay just to see it right, right? Yeah. as part of the process. It's kind of like if you're going to get a custom Ferrari, right? Yeah. That's part of the process. You come out, you watch your Ferrari get built, you get video of it. Yeah. It's part of the artwork of, of what you're, you're choosing there. So how long before it's just the checkbox on a website, send me a planter, boom, here's the design, whatever, right? Um, maybe you're a ways out from that. It's still pretty novel, I guess. So there's an intrigue. I mean, there's all the technology in the world available today to do a, you know, uh, check this box and and do that. But what we're finding is the the fit for the product today mm-hmm. in terms of statement pieces does require uh, some collaborative design process between our design team mm-hmm. and the architect. And uh, okay. most of them, because they've never touched 3D printed concrete, let alone designed it before, it, they they want some handholding. And so yeah. that's uh, part of the uh, enjoyment of the the building in the sandbox together today. Yeah. So collaborating with your, you have a design team, I presume that kind of helps with that and takes that, extracts that image or that idea and helps them put it into something visual that can be pushed around and plugged into blueprints and pictures and such. Yes. So the design team today, you know, we will provide some options for the architect to, to work with sometimes. Mm -hmm. They'll send us, it might be their influences of the theme of the project, right? So they can send a few pieces of driftwood or stones or colors that they're starting with. So it might be very early in the process, or it could be further down uh, through the the project before we get any kind of ideation Mm -hmm. with the architects. Referencing your design team makes me think a little bit about, you know, these 12 plants a couple of years from now, and obviously that team will have to grow over time. Tell me a little bit about uh, the team and the team that will be, what are the critical skills that are going to kind of make this, this growth and help you get from, from A to B? Yeah. So every early stage business needs entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and people that dream that, uh, they, they see they're okay with the gray. Yeah. True. If you want to be handed a a playbook and told you do A, B, C, and D, (laughs) you know, early stage is not for you. And uh, so we have dreamers on our team Mm -hmm. that see around the curve that have some amount of strategic uh, makeup about them where Mm -hmm. they see the vision and they're excited about it. And they want to put in everything that they've got. Mm -hmm. Some of the key skills in addition to strategic planning is just being able to collaborate. Mm -hmm. You know, we we can't handle anyone who uh, too big for the room to not work with other people to say, hey, you've got something to bring. Uh, so humility is a key part. In my experience in a small organization or a new organization where a lot of things are being figured out and, and everybody has to wear a different hat and you got to change hats often, egos are just the most, you know, the my job, your job, the ego person or whatever, those are the most disruptive, distracting, um, unhelpful. Yeah. Those are the worst places for those kind of traits to, to exist. Yeah, we like to uh, fail fast, learn fast mm-hmm. and, and win fast. And so we have a channel on our Slack that is about, you know, what did we fail at? What was the thing that like blew up or what was the yeah. thing that didn't go the way we had planned? And mm-hmm. how are we going to share that with the team? Uh, because we want us to yeah. just say, Hey, we're, we're human. All of us are humans at this table. If we're not uh, moving in the right direction, it means we're um, if we are moving in the right direction, 
we're going to have failures. We're going to have challenges yeah. that we're going to have to say, hey, this is what happened. Man, this didn't go the way I thought. Uh, and there's both the, the, the um, camaraderie, right, that comes mm-hmm. from those failures. It's just part of any kind of team. Yeah. yeah. And so we've always said, Aaron, like we want to make sure that we're transparent with each other mm-hmm. and that, that we tell each other uh, the good, bad, and the ugly of how things are going in the week and make sure it's it's yeah. all on the table, right, as it were. All you want to share a story about any something you ruined recently? Or? <laughs> There's at least a couple things that we, you know, we, we break things on a regular basis. It's part of finding our limits. Yeah. So just physically breaking something in your equipment. Physically breaking, yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, we're in an industry that had uh, obviously uh, high standards for safety. Mm-hmm. When you think of construction. At the end of the day, people will interact in these spaces and set on the objects. And, and in some cases, these objects could be structural and hold up spaces. And so they have to meet the demands of engineering. Yeah, so we work, okay. our engineer, you know, every piece, because it's unique, every piece has to be engineered. I'll give you an example of a third week mm-hmm. after I had arrived. I, I headed out to visit with one of the largest uh, landscape companies in the nation who distributes some of the highest quality products, and they have a customs division. Okay. We sent them four benches. We had our meeting with the 15 engineers, and we went out to tour the facility and see the four benches that we had shipped. Mm-hmm. Well, only two of those benches survived the the shipment. Uh, so we had, uh, obviously, we had worked out the printing process, but then the crating oh, and no. shipping <laughs> apparently had, had not quite as much uh, engineering as we had hoped. Oh, no. You know, so you go back to, okay, uh, who do we want to work with from a shipping perspective? Yeah. Do we need to get a crating engineer? And those kind of things. And so we... we Take notes. Oh, yeah. Fast, right? But it wasn't something that we... Uh, you know, wanted to ignore or not look at, you know, we actually worked with this company that had, we collaborate together. In fact, they're a great partner. They in fact wanted to send one of those for folks out to our, our place and see how do we create these objects if they're fragile because they're efficient. I mean, one of the advantages of 3d printing is that you're talking about sustainable green, right? They're often hollow. Mm. So if you're printing hollow objects, that aren't consuming near as much CO2 because of the reduction of material. Yeah. There are challenges with crating. And so we just had to be honest with what were the challenges uh, in that, in that process and how do we address them? Yeah. That's a great lesson learned. Unfortunate sometimes that those, those failures that teach you also cost money, right? (laughs) Set customer plans back a little bit, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, it it sure is valuable, but right. If we're honest with each other, uh, we can solve it together and move on. Yeah. Yeah, we, every business experiences those all the time. I was just speaking. My little brother's an entrepreneur, and um, you know, had a had a big setback, and we were just chatting about that the other day. And it's it's about managing your emotions in those moments so that you can still be a good student um, as the lessons being taught, instead of just seeing red ink, right? Instead of just being kind of disheartened by the failure. Like go back, look at the notes, study the questions you lot, you missed, right? Uh, and that's that's part of how you learn. Any other plugs you wanted to make or things, things you wanted to make sure were uh, kind of said or addressed? Talking points that you were thinking about that might be good for kind of the, the public to understand about the organization, either as it applies to appealing to talent that's important for you to appeal to or appealing to customer group or stakeholder group. One of the things I would say, Aaron, mm-hmm. in working with any company, I wouldn't have arrived at Vikas 3D if it wasn't for the partnerships. Mm-hmm. As you look at it, Early stage is high risk, and Rob Pikus is is phenomenal in terms of building a business that 
had a DNA where we treat each other like family. Mm, okay. So we talk about in 2023, how we're going to engage as a family, be honest with each other, look out for each other, but we're also going to have focus. So yes. we're going to say no to the things that don't fit where we're going. Mm -hmm. And that's hard as an early stage business because there's money making opportunities left and right when you have yeah. a world-class printer and you're talking to world-class architects or some things that you just shouldn't do. Just don't feel like they're right for your future as you're kind of like building out your history. Yeah. As I was evaluating this opportunity, one thing that was a, a clear piece of the recipe for success mm -hmm. was the fact that I had two of the largest concrete installers in the nation. So companies that knew concrete construction, and they also saw how 3D printing was potentially disruptive to their marketplace yeah. at some point. Interesting. And I thought, hey, with, with backers like this and with one of the largest building supply companies in the world, Sika, who has okay. very, very high, uh, uh, very great reputation when it comes to quality. Mm -hmm. I thought with these kind of partners, boy, we're going to be able to scale quick and fast. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, I would say in terms of uh, having a good recipe for success, having backers like that, that was something that was um, eye-catching for me coming on board. I've got a good friend who's a building architect. I'm going to make sure he knows what Pikus 3D can do. I'm curious what he'll have to say about uh, the capabilities and how new that would be to him. Because like any craftsman or artist would figure out a new tool or a new toy or a new, there's a new marker in the box. That's exciting to use it, right? Well, uh, thank you very much for this conversation. This has been, this has been good. Um, yeah. And I wish you and Pikus 3D a ton of success over the next couple of years. And it sounds like you've got the recipe. You were, um, vague in your reference to a couple of customers. I'm excited to see when those kind of get installed and become public points of reference. And I'm sure you'll update the imagery on your website and your social media and all yeah. that fun stuff. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing those pieces. It's a pleasure, Aaron. Cool. Thank, Thank you, Darren.